You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa County's Public Health Officer, Dr. Karen Smith, has been a guest here several times before, usually about some public health issue impacting Napa County. This time, though, she herself is the story as she leaves Napa to become the state health officer for California and the director of California's Department of Public Health, overseeing public health issues for all of California's 58 counties. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Karen Smith back here to NapaBroadcasting.com. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff, very much for the opportunity once again. Well, talk a little bit about your decision to take this position and, and a little bit about what it entails. Well, the, I can say without uh, equivocation, this is the most difficult um, professional decision I've ever made. So many exciting things are going on in Napa right now, um, but it was um, sort of one of those opportunities that is just too uh, interesting to pass up. Um, so what uh, essentially California Department of Public Health ha- is the entity for the state that's responsible for ensuring that all the various um, laws and regulations, et cetera, um, are, that protect the public's health in particular are followed. Um, that Much of that work is actually done at the local level. So in counties like Napa County, um, there is a local health officer in each of the, the counties in California, and there are also three city jurisdictions who all have physician and health officers who similarly have that responsibility. The, the legal responsibility actually rests with the Board of Supervisors, but then each Board of Supervisors has this uh, physician health officer who helps make sure that those things are carried out at the state. Similarly, <clears throat> the, the responsibility rests with the governor who then um, delegates it to the Health and Human Services uh, Secretary and subsequently then to the Director of Public Health. So um, there are about 3,600 individuals employed in the California Department of Public Health, which is just a little bit larger than the 60 um, that we have here in (laughs) Napa County Public Health. (laughs) And they have, uh, there are 200 programs um, in in the California Department of Public Health, um, which, you know, provide everything from uh, public health laboratory uh, expertise to uh, women, infants, and children services, um, and a lot of things in between there. So it really is looking at the whole gamut. Um, some of the most exciting stuff is is that beyond just the strict regulatory piece of it is really working with Californians and organizations throughout California to improve the public's health. So things like recognizing that some of the things that make us healthy have to do a lot more with how we live and where we live than they do with our genetics or with our provision of medical care. And that's a lot of the stuff we've been doing in Napa and the opportunity to see, like, can we really take that to a statewide level? That is some of what is so interesting to me about it. Given how large and how diverse California is and that it is different in so many respects between North and South and the Central Valley and other parts of California, Given that, what are the biggest individual challenges that you think that that the state faces with respect to public health? I think they are um, not mysteries. Um, you know, in, when it comes to ensuring that the public is healthy, uh, issues of poverty, for example, um, and lack of educational attainment, those are the things that are the strongest drivers. There are other areas, though, in California where the issue really is access to good medical care. Um, we have some very rural states where, uh, or I'm sorry, counties within the state 
where you have to go very long distances before you can get to a good doctor. So it's everything from from the way people live and uh, you know what their resources are to really direct provision of medical care. Um, the each county has something very specific and uh, both priorities and challenges, and that's actually. One of the things that Secretary Dooley and I talked about that's of, of interest to both of us is making sure that we are facilitating the counties. Um, each individual county knows its people, its challenges best, and finding ways to work with the county on how to do things in their jurisdictions rather than being just another, you know, sort of big brother, big sister saying you must do it this way, but really engaging around um, the the services that their population needs and the way in which those services should be provided. And that's going to be different in each county. And that, that's part of the challenge, but it's also part of what's really exciting is getting to sort of see how, how people really, all the different ways that, that local communities and local governments can come up with to really try to um, improve health. And are there new challenges and new opportunities in that as a result of ACA and incorporating that into all of these issues that you're touching on? Absolutely. Um, I think we're only beginning to see just how much the ACA actually shifts the ground. There are things uh, like, for example, um, mandating the provision of mental health services, so parity. So in, and when I can go to the doctor and get uh, medical care for my diabetes and nobody questions that as a medical issue, but if I need to go to the doctor and get care for my depression or my bipolar disorder or some other me- what would we would consider a mental health issue, it's never really been treated the same as a medical issue, despite the fact that we know that the two are sort of inextricably linked. And so now the federal government has said, look, if you're going to provide healthcare services, you have to have um, equivalent medical, uh, mental health services. And we're still figuring out what that means, but that's, that's a big shift. Um, there are other shifts, for example, now, um, healthcare, health insurance providers and um, organizations that provide healthcare services some of them are hospitals, some of them are, are consortium clinics, they're now going to get um, bonuses, actual financial benefit for improving health, not just for um, keeping beds filled in hospitals. Hospitals historically have worked sort of the way ho- hotels do. You don't get any money unless you have patients in the bed that you're providing services to. The ACA says really what you should be getting extra bonuses for is keeping people out of the hospital, keeping them healthy, not because you're denying services, but because they don't need you as much. And so shifting the focus to prevention, that I think over the next 20 years, that is going to be really earth-shaking in terms of how we provide services and what kind of services we provide. We're just just beginning that that particular um, path. And as you look back over your your tenure here in Napa County, talk about some of the things you feel that that you've accomplished, some of the things that you feel really have improved greatly in the time you've been here. Well, I think um, people are probably a little tired of me saying this, but the thing that, that I'm most proud of is having been part of a large group of individuals and organizations that came together and said, let's plan together about improving health in Napa County, doing in-depth, comprehensive community health assessments that reached out to the community, large numbers of community members, over 3,000 people, providing input on what, what's good about the county in terms of what their health 
uh, what it's uh, helping them be healthy and what their challenges are. And then putting that together and saying, here are the priority areas, here's our plan. Um, so between the community health assessment and the community health improvement plan, that was, that was sort of six years in the making of good, hard, consistent work that was done by just over 70 organizations and numerous individuals. And that's something to be very proud of. And it provides a really good foundation to build on into the future. And having that kind of broad-based coalition allows um, the organizations and the community to be flexible, to really address new issues and different ways of providing services, rather than having a bunch of individually, you know, everybody working in their own little silo and nobody sort of looking at the system overall. Um, so that's something that I think is, is very, very different than what we had um, before I came in Napa. Um, there are also, I think it's, if I had to summarize it, working together in collaboration would be the thing that I think I've seen happen more and more, not, not just in public health and certainly not just because of me, but in a lot of areas, the city and the county working together, the um, citizen groups working together and saying, gee, let's, let's talk about how we deal with homelessness rather than just sort of saying not in my backyard, that kind of thing. I, um, I'm so, it's been an, an amazing journey for 10 years to watch um, Napa County and the, and the whole uh, variety of, of individuals here kind of um, move forward first through some really, really difficult times and then now um, coming out of those economic depressions and but really being thoughtful about how we grow from here on out and how we provide what, what communities need to, to really be um, the best, most successful and healthy communities they can be. In that sense, can Napa be an example of best practices as you begin to look at what other counties in the state are doing right now? Well, for me, it is because, and and it is something that it, it it's part of what I, the conversations I had at the state um, when I was looking at this, at this position, because it's we though it, from the out from the outside, Napa looks like a very wealthy community, and you know shouldn't have any problems and all that. The truth is, we have a lot of issues in Napa. We have um, very very poor areas. We have a number of populations that really don't have access to resources, but we have we have found ways to work together to really make measurable improvements, and the community as a whole is committed to doing that. That, I think, really is a best practice. What it looks like in each, each county, each community will be a little bit different, but that idea that it really is the local communities that know best what they need and how services should be provided. And what local government and what, from my opinion, state government is going to need to do is kind of get out of the way and try to find ways to, to work collaboratively so that communities can do those things. Napa is remarkable in that regard. Coming back to the diversity issue again, as we mm -hmm. look at the state of California, you were talking about the poverty in the rural communities. We have such a diverse state in terms of the problems that those poorer and more rural communities face throughout the state versus what goes on in places like Los Angeles or San Francisco or San Diego or what have you. Talk a little bit about that because in some ways it seems that the problems and even the public health issues are so different in those different places. Well, they are. And, and so I think one approach is saying, okay, there's a certain level of, of equity that should be achieved. I mean, I mean everyone should have access 
to clean drinking water, adequate food for their families, a basic standard of living. There's no question about that. And one of the functions of government is to, pro- is to ensure that people have access to that. And that, that level of equity, bringing everybody up to a certain basic standard of resources available to them should be you know, priority one. How you do that is going to vary depending on where you are. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of, of saying, let, you know, taking the position as government, we're going to help you you know, figure out. We have we, one of the things about working in a state as diverse as California is we have there are as many different lessons to be learned and as many different model practices as there are communities. And so there's a th- this incredible wealth of of um, things that have worked and things that haven't worked that can then inform other um, other places and other communities that have similar issues. And so being a broker of information is another, I think, really important role that that government can play. Um, as we try to figure out what are, you know, what are the issues. And then particularly for vulnerable communities, empowering those, those communities, giving them the tools that they need to understand how to advocate for themselves. Um, people don't sort of grow up knowing how to you know, sort of go to city council meetings and say, look, our community needs X, Y, or Z. And so um, helping to... Uh, empower people in general and communities is, I think, um, that's not necessarily a role that government can provide, but certainly making sure that there's an atmosphere that's welcoming for that can, I think, go a long way. To what extent does the public health infrastructure in California really intersect with issues concerning public policy as it relates to this, things like soda bans, like the debate that's currently going on right now with respect to vaccines, and various other public policy issues that come up along the way that have a very direct impact on public health. Well, policy change is actually is probably the single most powerful tool available to improve health because things like um, banning tobacco in public places uh, that's a policy change that, that impacts every single human being in, the, in any community that has ever had exposure to tobacco. So it can be an extremely powerful um, tool. I think that for, for governmental public health, our role is to provide the science and have the, the policy makers then figure out what the policy should be. So it's, I don't necessarily think that government is always the right entity to make policies, but, but certainly governmental public health, whether it's at the local level or at the state level, um, our role is to give you the science behind the policy, not to carry banners and march in the street necessarily, but to say, look, here's what the science tells us, and here's what we do know and what we don't know, and here is what we think the, the ramifications of X policy change could potentially be. Of, and so that, that, I think, is the focus for me, anyway. Of course, as we're seeing with the vaccine debate currently, sometimes even the science being out there for everyone to see doesn't change behavior or, or habits on the part of people. That's very true. Um, science is... Uh, it's limited in what it can do. And we are, as human beings, one thing we know is that we are much more likely to believe when people are presented with two sides of something. We are more likely to believe the side that already is, matches what our, our inherent belief system. And it doesn't matter what the weight on either side is. Um, we can, you know, we combat that. We try to provide education. 
The other really important function of, of governmental public health though, is to ensure safety. And so that's why there are laws like vaccine mandates for school entry. Um, because yes, um, families should have a certain level of autonomy, but autonomy has to be balanced with risk to the public. And we are engaged in, that, in conversations about that balance in, in governmental public health pretty much every day. Um, when you come back from a place where you've been uh, that has Ebola, should you be in quarantine or should you be able to, you know, take your the rights guaranteed you by the Constitution and do whatever you want to do, irrespective? That balance between personal liberty and the public and risk to the public is a very delicate one and one that. It needs to be made in a really thoughtful way, and it needs to be made situation by situation. There are rarely sort of broad swaths that we can say, in every circumstance, X is the right answer. Um, it doesn't work that way. And finally, how will your leaving, moving to Sacramento, impact what's going on with respect to public health here in Napa right now? Um, well, I... I think that we are working very, very hard to be sure that, one, the process of finding a good health officer is not impeded by bureaucracy. So we're moving the bureaucracy forward as fast <laughs> as we can in terms of getting the, the position posted and recruiting good candidates. Um, that said, the county is committed to finding the right person, not just whoever shows up. Um, so there will be a balance there. But it, both internally and within the coalitions, so for example, the Healthy uh, Napa County Coalition, we're really making sure that we know sort of what are all the issues that are on the table, what are the plans to go forward. Um, Napa Public Health has a just outstanding staff. Um, really amazing people who work incredibly hard and they're taking, you know, the fact that I'm leaving very seriously. I guess one of the things I'm very proud of, I think, as a leader is that I feel like I can walk away and know that the people I'm, I'm leaving behind are fully capable of carrying on. So um, I, I feel I, I'm very conflicted about leaving Napa. Um, I'm not moving away from Napa, as you know, this is going to continue to be my home, but um, to not work with these folks and work with this community every day is going to be very difficult. But I am absolutely confident that um, the system here can can handle both what uh, what's on its plate right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Dr. Karen Smith, soon to be director of California's Department of Public Health, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.